0: of you that are present here with us, and all of those of you that are joining us via live stream on FBCBA.TV, we welcome you to First Baptist Broken Arrow. My name is Adam Mask. I have the honor and the the privilege of filling in for Pastor Nick in the pulpit today. Pastor is down in Texas ministering. Uh, Actually, he's in Garland, Texas, uh, ministering this morning. Uh, I I am the campus pastor at our Kuwaita campus, and so uh, very thankful that I get to be here and spend time praising and worshiping our Lord and Savior together with you today. You know, chaos is defined as complete disorder and confusion. I don't know about you, but sometimes in this world, That's exactly how our lives feel. They feel chaotic. They feel like they're completely out of control. Life feels disorienting. Whether it be the the loss of a loved one, the loss of a a job, whether it be health concerns or marital problems or financial problems, whether it be struggles with uh, addictions or depression, Whether it be family issues, wayward wayward children, maybe just life issues that that you are facing. Maybe it's that overwhelmingly hectic schedule. Maybe you have a two-year-old that resides at your household. (laughs) Chaos. Now, I find it interesting when I take that same two-year-old over to my mom and dad's, she doesn't quite act the same way that she does at our house. And what I've come to the conclusion is that grandkids and grandparents get along so good because they have, the, they have a common enemy. In fact, if, if you're a grandparent, let me just say, grandkids are God's reward to you for not killing your own children. I take solace and hope and comfort in that, that one day I will be rewarded for the trials and tribulations that only a two-year-old can produce. But sometimes we have chaos in our lives. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Mark 5, 21. If you will start turning in your, your Bibles for me. Thank you, Pastor Brian. Mark 5, 21, we're going to encounter a man named Jairus. And what we're going to see if we read in conjunction with the Synoptic Gospels of Matthew's account and Luke's account of this same event, what we're going to find out is that Jairus is a man of the cloth. He's a synagogue leader. He's a prominent member of society. He's a prominent member of his community. And he has a 12-year-old daughter. It's his only child, and she's on her deathbed. And Jairus will leave the side of his 12-year-old daughter who is dying to go and to run and to seek after Jesus. And he doesn't do it under the cloak of night like Nicodemus. He does it in broad daylight. This synagogue leader, this man who lives out to the letter of the law, goes and seeks the one that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious elite have labeled as a blasphemer. And he leaves the side of his daughter and he runs out of the middle of that chaos to go and to find Jesus. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you because there are many times in our lives where, although we may not be at the, the side of a dying child, Lord, we, we are in the midst of chaos. And Heavenly Father, your word instructs us very clearly of the chaos that this broken world produces. But your word is also very clear that we need not fear, for you have overcome the world. That Heavenly Father of that You've made a way for us. You've given us a peace and a joy in your son, Jesus. I pray that you will help me to rightly divide your word today, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us discernment, would guide us as we study your scriptures. Heavenly Father, I pray for changed lives, Lord. I pray for the transformation that only your Holy Spirit can produce in the individual's life. Lord, in the midst of this broken, chaotic world, I pray that we would understand that there is hope, there's a living hope. I pray that we would understand that we need not fear, we only need to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. In verses 21 and 23 of Mark 5, we see Jairus come to Jesus and fall at his feet. And he begs Jesus to to come with him back to his house so that he could heal his daughter before it was too late. In verses 24, and 30, uh, 30, 24 through 34, we, we see that a, a woman who's been suffering for 12 years with an issue of bleeding interacts with Jesus and reaches out and touches hold of Jesus and is instantly healed of her sickness and her disease. Jesus turns to see who it was that had touched him and the woman comes to him in, in, in fear and trembling and admits that it was her. And while Jesus is discussing with her about what had transpired by telling her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be free from your affliction, verse 34. We see in verse 35 that individuals come from Jairus' house, and they come to Jairus, and they say in verse 35, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? You see, the enemy... I'm sure has told several of you in here this morning because of the chaos that has been produced from this broken world in your lives, maybe this very morning, this week, this month, this year, that whatever it is that you're going through, it's hopeless, it's dead. So why bother Jesus anymore? Why bother coming to church anymore? Why bother coming and singing praises to Jesus because you're in a hopeless situation. You're in a situation that is past anything that Jesus can do for you. That that situation is dead. The enemy will tell you that, that your marriage is dead. Why bother Jesus? That that child of yours that is living wayward and prodigal, that refuses to live underneath what it is that you have taught them and raised them to know to be absolute truth, that they're too far gone, that that situation is dead, so why bother Jesus anymore? The enemy will lie to us and say that our nation is dead, that our future is dead, that there is no hope. Why bother with Jesus anymore? That's what the enemy will proclaim to us in the middle of our chaos, that it is hopeless. Give up. Take it for what it is. Turn tail and run. Jesus cannot help you, so why bother? And the truth of the matter is, if you only look at him as a teacher, if you only look at him as a good man, if you only look at him as a philosopher, then the truth of the matter is, we don't have any hope. But because he is the Son of God, because he is the resurrection and the life, because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, there is no situation that is hopeless. There is no situation that is dead. And so, although we may enter in here today in a time of chaos in our lives, in a time of chaos in our country, Jesus Christ is still on the throne. Jesus Christ is still the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that's not up for vote. And that's for all of eternity. They came and they told Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? In verse 36, when Jesus overheard what was said, He told Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe. Those five words we ought to seal on our hearts, we ought to etch across our minds, we ought to live out each and every day, don't be afraid, only believe. Don't be afraid of the darkness of this world, only believe in the light that is Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid of, of the death and the destruction that we see played out in this broken world. Only believe in Jesus, that he is the Son of God, that he went to the cross, bearing my sins and your sins, that he has defeated the grave, that he has defeated sin and death. Don't be afraid. Only believe. That's the gospel. We need not fear. Why? Because Jesus has overcome this world. Only believe. Only believe. Don't be afraid, only believe are the words that our Savior spoke to Jairus. And so they kept walking. Jairus didn't know what he was walking to, all he knew is who he was walking with. You see, a lot of the times we're scared to take that next step because we don't know what that next step holds for us. But if we understand who's holding our hand while we take that step, then we can walk boldly through whatever door is open because our Savior has gone before us. He didn't know what he was walking towards. All he knew is who he was walking with. And so he walked towards his house, having been told, it's too late, your daughter's dead. What you're going to walk to is death. But he continued to walk with the Savior. And the Savior continued to walk with him. Don't be afraid, only believe. Verse 38, I love this. They came to the leader's house. That gets me excited. They came to the leader's house. You see, that's the gospel, friends. He came. He came for us. He didn't leave us or forsaken us or abandon us. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. That's exactly what pastor has been talking about over these last few weeks, that he's with us, that he came for us. And let me tell you, When Jesus comes to your house, when you allow him to enter into your lives, miracles are bound to happen. When Jesus is invited into our chaos, miracles are bound to happen because we serve a God of miracles. He came to his house. Jesus came for all of us. Now, what he encountered was complete chaos. What he encountered was an absolute commotion of epic proportion. Verse 38 says that there was a commotion with people weeping and wailing loudly. Now, in Matthew's account, Matthew 9.23, it talks about there were flute players and, and women wailing loudly. In 2 Chronicles uh, 35.25, uh, there was this law that was instituted. That when somebody died that uh, flute players were to come and to play a dirge and wailers were to come and they were to, to wail and to, to bring attention to the death of the loved one or the deceased. And so Jesus comes on onto the scene and the Mishnah, what the religious elite Would use to to add upon what God's word had said, bogging everybody down with all of this religion. The Mishnah proclaimed that it was law that for the poorest of the poor, they were to at least receive two flute players and one wailing woman. Now, this is a synagogue leader, this is a prominent member of the community. So if the poorest of the poor were to get two flute players and one wailing woman, you can imagine how many flute players and how many wailing women were there for Jair- Jairus' daughter. There were people whose literal job was that when somebody died, they would go and they would wail. They would, they would cause a big commotion. They would, they would grieve. And then flute players would play a dirge for the deceased. Now, it sounds like a pretty dead-end job to me, but I digress. And so he encounters complete chaos. Verse 39, he went in. He went in. You see, he doesn't just stand on the perimeter of our chaos. He doesn't just come and stay on the outside of our chaos. He doesn't just stand at the very edge of our chaos. He enters into our chaos with us. And so if you're following along and you're you're, you're taking notes, the first point that I want to make is this. Jesus steps into our chaos. He steps into our chaos. You see, oftentimes I think we think that we have to get all of the chaos of our lives under control before Jesus will enter into our house with us. And I want you to understand that you can never overcome whatever it is you're facing apart from Jesus Christ. That is the lie of the enemy, that you have to get everything together before Jesus will enter into your life. you got to get everything under control. you got to get your life cleaned up. And let me tell you from experience, you can never clean up your life apart from Jesus Christ, try as you might. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit It is only by the power of the blood that we sang about that we are freed from the bondage of our sin. We have to allow Jesus into our chaos, and he steps gladly into it. Psalm 46 verse 1 tells us, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. You see that? That in the midst of your chaos, in the midst of the storms of your life, we have a refuge that you need to go running to. We have shelter in our Savior that we need to go and to take our, our, our solace and our, find our peace and our joy in. For those of you in here that chaos is surrounding you, that the storm is raging around you, Understand that if you feel like you can't even take another breath, you don't have enough strength to take another another step to move one inch, God is your strength. He will strengthen you. I love the last part. He's an ever-present help in trouble. He's ever-present in our times of trouble. He's right there in the middle of our chaos with us. He's right there. He's an ever present help in our trouble. Sometimes it feels like God is so far away from us. Let me tell you, our feelings can deceive us. The fact of the matter is, the truth of God's word says He is an ever present help in our trouble. The problem is, there were too many people running to the whalers, and then not enough people running to the healer. You see, when that Little girl got to that point where they thought it was hopeless. Their inclination was to run to the whalers, to finalize and make it a formality that this situation is over. It is dead. There's nothing less to do. But Jairus, he ran to the healer. In the midst of our chaos, we need to run to the healer and not the whalers. We need to run to the healer. We need to run to Jesus. You see, the world will tell you to run to the dead things of life. The world will tell us to run to the the dead things of this world. But the word of God says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, all of you who are burdened. And I'll give you rest. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, verse 39, the second point that I want us to understand about chaotic times and how Jesus deals with those times of chaos, it says, not only did he go in, he went in and then it says, he said to them. Now, we know we have recorded what Jesus said and we know that everybody heard it, not just his disciples that were close to him, but everybody heard it because it says in verse 40 that they started to laugh at him. And side note. When you start living for Jesus and you start running to the healer instead of the wailer, people may scoff at you. But that's okay. We're called to please God, not man. We run to the healer and not the wailer. But we have recorded what it is that Jesus said, that over all of the noise of those that were drawing attention to death... They heard the voice of Jesus. You see, the world may speak louder in volume, but not in value. The weight and the value of the words of Jesus overcome all of the noise of the world. And the world is noisy. The enemy is loud. The enemy tries to drown out God's voice, but he cannot. The weight and the value Of the words of Jesus far outweigh the noise of this world. So the second thing that we need to understand is not only does Jesus step into our chaos, but Jesus speaks over our chaos. That we hear the very voice of God. That's how intimate of a Savior and how intimate of a Lord we serve. That he speaks to us. He communicates with us. And not just with any ordinary words. Hebrews 4.12 tells us this. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. Penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. In other words, it's able to reveal absolute truth. It's able to uncover the lies that the world is trying to feed us so that we know the reality of the situation. God's word is powerful. And he speaks over our chaos. In 2004, there was a man named Viktor Yushchenko. And he was running for president of the Ukraine. The ruling party was completely opposing him for obvious reasons and his presidential run. He was mysteriously poisoned and almost killed. His face was left disfigured and gray. But he persisted on, continued to run his race and stand for the presidency. And on the night before the election was to be held, he had a comfortable lead. But the ruling party, not to be outdone, the next day during the election, they tampered with the results. And that night on the state-run TV, the, the controlled media proclaimed that Yushchenko had been decisively defeated, that he had lost. But down in the bottom left-hand corner was a young lady who was translating to the rest of the country in sign language and she refused to translate the lies that the journalists were regurgitating from the ruling regime. Instead, via sign language, she spoke to her country and said, I am addressing all the deaf citizens of the Ukraine. They are lying. And I am ashamed to translate those lies. Yushchenko is our president. The, the deaf citizens of the Ukraine sprung into action and started text messaging all of their friends. And the bravery of this young lady, the bravery of Natalia Dmitryk, led to other journalists to start to speak out against the corruption, to stop spreading the lies that the ruling party would have them say. And so nearly a million of the citizens of the Ukraine marched upon the capital city of Kiev. What came to be known, the Orange Revolution, and a new, president, a new uh, 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 day of voting was, what, what was instituted, and actually Yushchenko was voted in as president of the Ukraine. Now, I tell you all that to tell you this, the world controls the big screen and the world lies to us day in and day out. But we have a savior, Jesus Christ, who sits in the bottom corner of the screen saying, don't believe their lies. It's not hopeless. They didn't defeat me. I'm not still in the grave. I've overcome the grave. I am victorious. And we, as individuals that have come to know that truth, need to rise up and to go and to proclaim that truth to all the ones that are still only focused on the big screen. Jesus speaks over our chaos. In fact, the beautiful truth is a lot of times the reason why God talks to us in that still small voice is it causes us to get a little closer to him. It causes us to draw near to him. If you're taking notes, here's a truth that plays out in in all areas of life, especially marriage, fellas. Proximity clarifies proclamation resulting in greater perception. Perception. See, the closer I get to somebody, the clearer I hear what they're saying, which helps me understand exactly what it is that's being communicated so I see things clearly. That way I don't come back with one egg and half a dozen cartons of milk. Maybe that's just me. Proximity clarifies proclamation, resulting in greater perception. So the closer we draw near to Jesus who steps into our chaos, the clearer we understand what he is telling us, the truths that he is translating to us, because he speaks over the chaos. And the third point I want to make is that Jesus sees through our chaos. He would go on to say at the end of verse 39, the child is not dead but asleep. You see, when we listen to the voice of Jesus, he reveals to us the reality of the situation that we're living in. He reveals to us the truth. He reveals to us that our marriage isn't dead. He reveals to us that our wayward child, that's not hopeless. He reveals to us that our nation isn't too far gone. That's not hopeless. That our future isn't hopeless. He reveals to us the reality of the situation that he's still a God of miracles. He's still on the throne and he's still at work. He also reveals to us that no matter how hard Satan may try, he's still building his church and the gates of hell won't overcome it. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, so we don't look at the trouble We can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. In other words, don't don't fix your eyes on the chaos that's going on now because the trouble that you have now pales in comparison to the glory to come. Keep your eyes fixated on the cross of Jesus Christ where your debt was paid. Keep your eyes fixated on the empty tomb where... Jesus defeated sin and death. Keep your eyes fixated on the promises of God that says that there is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And one day all those who have faith in Christ Jesus will enter into that perfect and holy rest. For the things we see now will soon be gone. Amen. Take take solace in that. Take comfort in that. That the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us, for we live by believing and not by seeing. Don't be afraid, only believe. Don't be afraid that things look bleak now. Don't be afraid that things look dark now. Don't be afraid that things look chaotic now. Only believe that Jesus has the power to overcome that which we see as things that may. Never have hope or be able to be overcome. Only believe in the fact that Jesus has overcome. You see, our belief allows us to look through the spectacles of faith. Our belief allows us to develop Christ like vision to see things and people the way that Jesus Christ sees them. You see, what we see as things of ruins, Jesus sees as things to be resurrected. What we see as things of ruin, Jesus sees the things to be resurrected. That when we bring those situations to him, those chaotic moments to him, it allows him the opportunity to do what only he can do so that he can get all of the glory. So others that are around that looked at that hopeless, dead situation in their eyes will see through the spectacles of faith, we point proudly and boldly to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who can do all things for no things are impossible for him. Sometimes, though, I think we feel as if in the midst of this chaos, God doesn't see us. Because if God saw us, he wouldn't allow some of the the chaos that is in our lives to happen. He wouldn't allow some of the suffering in our lives to exist. He wouldn't allow some of the storms in our lives to be present. So obviously Jesus must not be able to, to see us. We must be invisible. I'll take you back to high school. Remember that pretty girl, fellas? And you'd walk through the hallway and here she'd come so you, you'd try to stick your chest out just a little bit more. You'd walk a little bit taller and she'd just keep walking. She didn't even give you a second look. That happened a lot to me. I don't know, maybe y'all didn't have that. It's like You didn't even exist. Man, I'm invisible to her. It's defeating, right? It's depressing a a little bit. And sometimes I think spiritually we can feel that because things are are going on in our lives that produce chaos, that Jesus doesn't see us and we we have to be careful that when we cry out to God in, in anger or frustration that we understand that we're talking to the very same God who saw his son Jesus Christ crucified. See, there's oftentimes we wonder, God, where are you in the midst of my chaos? Where are you when we see all of this tragedy and suffering and pain twirling and storming all around us? Where are you, God, in the midst of all of that? Listen, church, he's in the very same place he was when he saw his son, Jesus Christ, crucified. He's in the very same place that he was when he saw his son, Jesus, nailed to a cross so that suffering wouldn't be the end of our story, but a glory could come to us later because what we see now won't last forever. Jesus sees you, and he sees through the chaos, and ultimately, he steals our chaos. He calms it. He entered in to the room that this little girl was, and he took her by the hand, and he said, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately she got up. Immediately she rose. Oh, he steps into our chaos. He speaks over our chaos. He sees through our chaos, and he steals our chaos. Maybe not in this world, but in the glory to come, ultimately we get complete peace, complete joy when we step into that glory that God has promised all of his children. Ultimately, he will steal our chaos. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In the midst of your chaos, take solace in this promise that God will be elevated to his rightful position, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess one day that Jesus is Lord, that he will be exalted among the nations and he will be exalted in the earth, that all the chaos will be stilled just the way that Jesus stilled the storm on the Sea of Galilee when the disciples were in the boat. He said to the little girl, get up. I don't know of a better word for us, church, than we need to get up. No matter what chaos may be going on around you, you weren't meant to live your life in a pit of despair. Jesus says, get up. You weren't meant to live your life in a separate part of the house and your children. You need to get up and start discipling your children. Church, we need to get up and go and seek after those that Jesus came to seek and save. We need to go after the lost. We need to get up. We need to get off the sideline. We need to get into the game. We got to get up. We need to live our lives with an urgency that we know the truth that some don't know. And we need to get up. That's a lot easier said behind this pulpit than it is for us to walk outside of these doors. And I know that. And I get that. And in the frailty of our flesh, I want you to understand there's nothing in us that is able to carry that out. But did you see what Jesus did before he told that little girl to get up? Took her by the hand says, I know you're down. I know sometimes the chaos knocks us down. I know sometimes the world knocks us down. Let me help you up. Take my hand. You need a fresh touch from Jesus today? Take my hand. That's what he says to each and every one of us. I've extended my hand to you. Will you take it? I don't know about you, but that little two-year-old that I was talking about. I got a two-year-old getting ready to be a three-nager. And I've got, I've got an 11-year-old. I got 10 fixing to be an 11-year-old. And every night we say our prayers together as a family. And that little two-year-old, she'll reach her little hand out to me. She'll say, Daddy, will you hold my hand? And we all hold hands as a family. And my little girls, they feel that sense of security. They feel that sense of comfort. Because I know that's what they feel, because that's what I felt. I remember holding on to when my dad would reach out his hand for me and we'd cross the street, or my mom would reach out uh, her hand to me for me to cross a street, or or if I was feeling fearful, she'd reach out, or my dad would reach out his hand, and I'd take hold of that hand, and, man, I'd feel security. I'd feel confidence. I'd feel comfort. For some of us, as our parents get older, we need to reach out our hands to them and steady them now and do what they once did for us. And we hold them, them by their hand and we walk with them. You know what Jesus says to us? Jesus says this to us. Our Lord, and our Savior, God's very Son. You know what he says to us in Isaiah 41, 13? For I hold you by your right hand, I the Lord your God, and I say to you, do not be afraid. I'm here to help you. You hear that? He says, I'll hold you by your right hand. I'll bring comfort and security and stability to your life. Will you take it? Will you take it? Will you reach out and take hold of that which Jesus has extended to you? Will you get up? Here in just a second, I'm going to extend an invitation to you. And it's not my invitation. It's invitation from Jesus. The saying, if you are stuck in the darkness of this world and you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he wants to snatch you out of that pit of destruction and place your feet firmly upon the foundation of Jesus Christ secured for us at the cross. But what I'm going to ask before I make that invitation is for those of you that know Jesus Christ, I want you to start praying like you've never prayed before. I want you to start praying that God would reveal himself to those that don't know him. That the voice of the enemy that says it is hopeless and things are dead. They would understand in the hands of Jesus. Chaos is stilled, and there is hope. Maybe you want to come up to the altar and you want to start praying and you want to start crying out to God that if there's anybody that doesn't know Jesus, that they would come to know Jesus this very day. I'm getting ready to give that invitation. So if you want to start praying for those amongst us that may not know Jesus, then now is the time to start praying like you've never prayed before. And for those of you that sit in the congregation, and you sit here today, And the voice of the enemy was telling you the whole time you walked from the parking lot in here today that your situation is hopeless, that you're too far gone, that you're too much of a sinner, that you've lived your life too much in sin for God to help you. I want you to understand that Jesus says that's a lie. Don't pay attention to the big screen. That what you see is ruins. I see as things to be resurrected. Get up. Take hold of the promises of God as he extends them to you. All of those of you that have already done that, but you've never followed through in believer's baptism. God says, get up. Come and display your obedience to the rest of God's people and to the world. For those of you that know beyond a shadow of a doubt, the Holy Spirit has called you here to this place to serve and be a member of this local body, to make this your church family. Here in just a second, as Kevin sings, I want you to come, get up, Proclaim that for everybody else. If you just need to pray, pastors will be here. The altar is open for you to come and to pray. Whatever it is that God has placed on your heart, as Kevin sings, you need to come. Come. If you don't know know Jesus, get up. Take hold of his hand. He's offering it to each and every one of us. Amen i'm forgiven
1: because you were forsaken and i'm accepted and you were condemned and i'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again i'm forgiven and i'm forgiven because you were forsaken And I'm accepted and you were a deal, And I'm alive and well Your spirit is within me Because you died and rose again Amazing love My king would die for me. Yeah. Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. Amazing love, amazing love. my king would die for me amazing love I know it's true it's my joy to honor you in all I Amen, church family. Wow, what a great and mighty God we serve. Amen. I tell you, church family, thank you for praying for us. Our team just got back from France working with the Han Chinese, and we just saw God do some incredible things right before our very eyes. And then I walk here today, and Adam, I hear that, brother, what a great and mighty God we serve. Well, church family, we today I have exciting news. Adam today, Elijah Esau wants the church to know that he has trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior and he's ready to before believer's baptism.
0: Amen. Amen. Elijah, there's no bad time to proclaim your obedience to God Almighty and that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior to come and to profess that you want to follow through in Believer's Baptism. there are individuals that make a profession at your age and go their whole lives without following through in Believer's Baptism. And you stand here today to say, you know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your life, and you want to follow him in Believer's Baptism. Now, I do got to apologize. You kind of got the double A ball club here introducing you today, okay? But it doesn't make it any less, okay, of the statement that, that you were making. And what a beautiful proclamation you're making to all of us and what a display of the faith and the courage of a young man to say, I'm an unashamed follower of Jesus Christ and I want to be obedient to him. We will be in prayer for you and for your family and so thankful for them that they faithfully follow your Savior, uh, our Heavenly Father. And so we just ask that you would allow us to come alongside of you, to help them disciple you to be that godly man he created you to be. We look forward to seeing what God is going to do in and through you. If you rejoice with Elijah's decision today, would you say amen? amen. Before y'all leave today, you want to come up and celebrate with the Esau's and congratulate them. Uh, I don't, we, we don't have pastors Bible study tonight, so uh, you can just relax and enjoy. No, wait a
2: second. Before he starts that, <laughs> there is something going on tonight. I was trying to okay, step in, okay. but you didn't see me back here. Tonight, we've been. this has been our, our music camp, K-Jam Kids, Jesus, and Music, and it's been a great week, and tonight is their musical tonight. I want to encourage you. It's going to be great. They've been working all week long, even before that, so that tonight at 5 o'clock, and also you've seen in your bulletin, maybe you've seen it on Facebook different social medias, but we are starting uh, Albany School of Music through this church. And what it is basically, I, I, I felt like that we don't have enough musicians for this area, for our children's area, two youth areas, Coweta, and a lot of churches struggle with having enough musicians. So we want to start a Christian faith-based school of music. We'll be doing guitar, keyboard, drums, voice, uh base and all this stuff, and it's going to be Christian teachers, excellent professional teachers that will pray with the kids or adults, and working on Christian um, worship music, and then giving them venues to play when they get through. So if you're interested in that, Tuesday night, you look into Bulletin, there's a meeting Tuesday night in the
0: formal dining room. We'd love to see you there. Thanks. Music people, you know, they're supposed to sing. Our time of worship is over, but our service has just begun. There's a mission field that awaits us right out of these doors. May we go and glorify God in all we say and do. God bless each and every one of you.